You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by Legal Fuel, the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilberry. I'm a Senior Practice Management Advisor at the Bar and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our home offices in Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm Carla Eckhart. I'm a Practice Management Advisor at the Florida Bar and a co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So back on January 1st of 2020, the Florida Supreme Court officially adopted a presumptive three-month parental leave rule for many court cases that would require judges to grant a lead attorney's request for leave for the birth or adoption of a child. The Florida Bar News article that reported the rule change noted that former Bar President John Stewart presented the Bar's position in favor of a parental leave rule to the court and stated that the rule, as proposed, advances the Bar's mission to encourage health and wellness and to encourage work-life integration so physically and mentally healthy lawyers better serve their clients. This rule advances the best interest in putting the public and clients first in ensuring they get the lawyers of their choice. For attorneys who would like to become parents, this was a great first step with the court, but attorneys also need the support of their firms to plan a successful leave from the office to transition into parenthood. The Florida Bar's Young Lawyers Division quickly has stepped in to assist with this process by creating and sharing an excellent resource entitled A Practical Guide to Parental Leave for Employers, What to Expect When Your Employee Isn't Expecting. Joining us today to discuss the new YLD Parental Leave Guide are two members of the YLD Diversity and Inclusion Committee that was responsible for its creation, Iris Elijah and Anisha Patel. Iris Elijah is a graduate of the University of South Florida and Florida International University College of Law. She is the Associate General Counsel for FIU. Iris previously served as counsel for Florida A&M University and the Board of Governors of the State University System. She was the first African-American lawyer for FIU and the State University System Board of Governors. Iris is the president-elect designate of the Young Lawyers Division and chair of its Inclusion and Equality Committee. She also serves on the board of the Gwen S. Cherry Black Women Lawyers Association, is a Miami-Dade Fall Foundation board member, and is an active member of the Miami Alumna Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. Anisha Patel is a commercial litigation attorney at Hill Ward Henderson in Tampa, where she represents individuals and firms in a variety of business-related disputes, including professional liability matters, insurance coverage disputes, and the defense of accessibility lawsuits. Originally from London, England, Anisha completed her first law degree at the London School of Economics and her second law degree at Stetson University College of Law. In addition to her litigation practice, Anisha is actively involved in many local, statewide, and national bar associations and currently serves as an ex-officio board member of the Hillsborough County Bar Association Young Lawyers Division and as an elected governor of the Florida Bar Young Lawyers Division Board of Governors, where she is the vice chair of the Inclusion and Equality Committee. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Hi, thank you for having us. Quite an impressive bio between the two of you. I'm so happy you guys are joining us today. So let's get 
right into it. I want to give our listeners a little bit of background. So today's topic, as Christine mentioned earlier, is parental leave. And I just want to give our listeners a little background. So the U.S. is the only developed nation without a national paid leave policy, but we do have the Family and Medical Leave Act. However, FMLA doesn't apply to a large portion of bar members. And thus, parental leave is a topic that employing lawyers and law firms often have to navigate on their own. And a recent Department of Labor survey actually found that more than three quarters of U.S. employees have heard of FMLA, but many have gaps in their understanding of its policies. So can you give our listeners just a quick rundown? I know you're not labor law lawyer attorneys or anything, but, you know, of your understanding of what FMLA is as it pertains to parental leave. So the uh, Family and Medical um, Leave Act provides certain employees with up to 12 weeks of unpaid job protected leave per year um, and also requires that the group maintain health benefits, but it only applies for employers with over 50 members. So we found that for a lot of our young lawyers, the FMLA Act doesn't actually apply. And so that left a gap in what would be available if parental leave became applicable to their family situation. And, and there's no Florida equivalent. There actually was last year introduced the Florida Family Leave Act. Um, it was introduced in the House and the Senate, but both died in committee. Um, so mm-hmm. obviously, as a society, we're seeing that there's more attention around parental leave, but there's still all these gaps, which is why it's so great that the Young Lawyers Division took on this project, which leads to the next question. What prompted YLD to take on this project, assisting firms and navigating parental leave for their employees? What pr- prompted you to participate specifically? Well, I would say for me, the impetus for my involvement with the parental leave manual really is from the fact that YLD, our membership is often comprised of young attorneys who are in their the best years of their childbearing opportunity. And so we wanted to make sure that all of our members have the opportunity to focus on their family while still excelling as a young lawyer. And I will say uniquely, I do not have children. I'm not interested in children. But I understand that when my colleagues or those that are around me in my office, when they're at their best, which means that they're fully present for their family, that makes them a better colleague, which in turn makes me a better colleague. And so I have to appreciate President Adam White for really pushing this initiative to our board at our long range planning meeting and then checking in to make sure that we actually did what we agreed to do at the very beginning of the year because he wanted to make sure that we didn't lose the focus and the importance of the parental leave. I think that's very important. We wanted to make sure that we give the opportunity for our young lawyer members to be great lawyers. And a part of their life includes balancing their family and home life. And so one of the things that was important, especially to me, was in trying to make sure that if we create a guide that we would really focus on attracting and retaining members in the profession. And this guide seeks to do that because it helps to ensure that young lawyers have the support they need to stay in the profession. And I use the word help because we we wanted to make sure that we were not dictating what fits every single law firm, what fits every single office and every employee, and also what fits for every client need. And so this guide really was created with, with the idea in mind that we wanted it to just be a practical resource for all kinds of all kinds of legal employers, for different employees, for different parental situations, and also for for what would work best for, for clients in this environment. And I have to add, the great thing about the guide is that it it's not just for firms. 
We hope that organizations will use it. Mm -hmm. We hope that anybody who is working with other individuals, lawyers particularly, will use this guide to figure out how do we prepare? What do we do in the meantime? And then what do we do when parental leave has ended? And so we hope that it will guide organizations as well as firms with really, as Anisha said, helping our members be the absolute best person that they can be. So the Society for Human Resource Management's 2016 Employee Benefits Research Report found that only 18% of U.S. organizations offer paid maternity leave, 12% provide paid paternity leave, and 17% of employers have a paid parental leave for either parent. How do you think law firms uh, leverage paid parental leave policies? Are they using them from your experience to recruit and retain top talent and signal that they offer a better work-life blend to their lawyers who may become expectant adoptive or foster parents? Well, for me, I know it was very important when I was graduating from law school and looking at um, different prospective employers. It was important to me to for me to know the benefits that were offered, including the type of parental leave that was going to be available. I knew that having children was in my future. I was already married for a number of years when I had started at Stetson. And so I knew that was going to be in my future. And I wanted to make sure that my future was set up so that not only could I you know, take advantage of a parental leave policy that works for my family, but also that it could be one that could help keep me in the profession. And ultimately, that that was something very important for me. And I think now firms and offices are really cognizant of that. Uh, Work-life balance is important to young lawyers. You know, uh, mental health and wellness is important. And all of those things go hand in hand with a, with a solid parental leave policy. And I think young lawyers are, are looking for that when they're picking their prospective employers. And so I'm a government lawyer and I have to agree, and it looks a little bit different in my office because it's not a traditional firm, but we have FMLA leave and they do allow employees to use sick leave if you've just adopted or you've just had a child. And in addition to that, I've watched my office ensure that once attorneys returned from leave, that there were certain accommodations that were made, such as having a lactation room or making sure if someone needed to leave to attend a doctor's appointment, that they could do that. And there was not a stigma involved in that. And the rest of the office did not see that as a burden. And I look for that, again, no matter what, because what it signals to me is that when it's my turn and I have an issue, that they really are embracing and encompassing of supporting all of the employees. Right. It's, it's a question of morale. But you also bring up a good point, because even if you are the person who isn't, you know, you're not planning to have children, you could have elderly parents down the road where you need this same accommodation. And it's it's nice to hear that it's you've seen it demonstrated this way, because I know that in the past, law firms would say, here, I'll, look at our very generous policies. You get inside the firm and nobody actually takes the time off. Uh, so are you aware that that exists out there as well, some of your colleagues? Yes, I will have to say I've seen it particularly when President Santo de Ganji said as a man, it was tough to take parental leave because there is this stigma. There's even more of a stigma for men who need to take the time to be with their families. And there should not, that, that shouldn't exist. But you're right that it does. And I will say that I do have elderly parents and a very sick grandmother, and I'm often leaving and attentive to that. And I agree, you see the same nurturing environment that you see for parental leave given to other people, depending on their situation. It's really important. And it was something that I asked about specifically for my job and made it known that that is important to me. And if you want me to show up fully as Iris 
and my personality and intellect and ambition, then this is part of it. And I'm very grateful that FIU said, we want all of you, including your family, and we understand what that means. And I've really, really enjoyed that. That's excellent. And that's kind of the beauty of the guide. It it walks you through the process, but it doesn't tell you this is what you need to do because there is no one size fits all. And like Christine said, a lot of firms have these beautiful policies that look perfect. But in practice, the statistics show, I mean, if you look at the Department of Labor statistics, even those people who have access to paid parental leave, never mind the unpaid, to paid parental leave, they don't take it either because they... can't because their spouse can't doesn't have leave so they can't take leave and you know there's there's just so many reasons why they just don't take it or simply put like you mentioned iris the stigma so the the guide the beauty of the guide again is that it walks you sort of through the thought process rather than telling you this is what you need to do this is the this is how you need to you know formulate your policy. It's more of the considerations you need to make when preparing said policy. So that's really important. And I, I, I hope our listeners, when they download the guide or when they go to the website, that they keep that in mind because we often get calls um, from members saying, well, do you have such and such policy? And we try and very politely explain to them that we're hesitant to provide such policies because there's just no one size fits all. There's no one correct way. If it doesn't work for your firm, it's useless. If it's not put into practice, it's absolutely useless. So again, the thought process of how to put a policy together and the considerations you need to make, that's kind of, to me at least, what makes the guide so interesting and so useful and so powerful, really, because it it brings all those questions that maybe you didn't want to ask before to the forefront. So that's great. My next question is kind of related to the situation we're all in. We, we mentioned earlier we're filming from our home offices or recording from our home offices. But how do you think the pandemic highlighted the importance of parental leave? I know there was a lot of schools out and, and a lot of parents working from home right next to their children. So how were you personally affected and how did you see your colleagues affected? I think that the the guide and um, and also just the pandemic has really just shone a light on how well young lawyers and, and, and anyone really can adjust to working on a remote basis and on sometimes on a flexible basis when childcare or other needs take precedence. And I have two young children. So I had my son at the beginning of the pandemic was pregnant for the entirety of the pandemic working remotely and now I have a newborn um, and I'm still currently working from home. And it was great to have that flexibility first to to be home to make sure that my my son um, he's to um, have the care that he needs, but also now that I'm a, a new mom again to to still be around at home so I can you know see my newborn during the day and you know Iris and I regularly have calls and you will hear my my newborn um, cooing in the background um, when she wants to interrupt us. But it's really just the the purpose of the guide was all about flexibility and we wanted to address that head on and I think the pandemic has really forced everybody, even people who aren't parents, to put that into perspective. And just the idea of being able to work remote, being able to work on a flexible basis, how important those things are while still meeting client needs, still being productive um, and still getting the work done. I had one of what I think was one of my most productive years last year, working remotely while pregnant and taking care of another son. And so I think when we when people think of remote working or flexible working, people often 
believe perhaps that that would lead to less productivity or perhaps clients won't be as happy. And I just I just think the last year shows us that that is just not true. And we are all capable of um, adapting when we need to, but also understanding that there are some things that we need to be in the office for, um, whether it's to, you know, network with our colleagues or to, you know, better serve our clients. And I think, I think the pandemic has just really um, highlighted that for us. And that's one of, we've talked about this before, some of the good changes that are going to come out of the pandemic because we were forced into them. But I think that firms are going to keep the things that worked really well. There have been some statistics of more women left the workforce during the pandemic because if you were homeschooling and you didn't have any assistance. But there's other issues for a female attorney because the timing of the guide coming out was perfect because like we mentioned at the beginning, uh, there was the rule change. So if you're a litigation attorney, if you download the guide, there's going to be a link to the new the rule change that was at the beginning of 2020. But have either of you heard about a lawyer's experience actually getting to use that rule change in court? Is it is it happening? Are judges cooperating? Um, because for an attorney, you're jumping through two hoops. Like I said, you've got to if you're a litigation attorney, you got to get the court to cooperate. Then you got to get your firm to cooperate. So what's the reality of that on the ground? So I think from my personal perspective, I've been lucky in that in, in both in my office and also with co-counsel that I've ever worked in, I've never had an issue. Um, through my first pregnancy in particular, um, we had a very large case I was going to be out for, for 12 weeks um, and we managed to make it work. That was before the rule came into play, but I've always just had that cooperation. What I've heard since the rule has come into effect is there's definitely been times when um, young lawyer parents have had to use the rule. Um, we've heard even from some of our own board members, both male and female, that when they have tried to take advantage of the rule in order to you know provide for their family, um, they've been met with opposition from opposing counsel of both um, male and female um, orientation of male and female genders, and and you know that's disappointing, of course, but that is why the rule is there. What we've heard that in those cases where there's been opposition from opposing counsel that courts have been enforcing the rule because you know there's a an exception to the rule the exception is when there's prejudice on the other side and so that gives the court sufficient discretion to analyze what is best for that case but also to grant the continuance when um when there is no prejudice and that's the that's the most important thing but and iris can probably speak to this too but i know i've certainly heard of the the rule unfortunately um having to be um argued in court because you know people haven't been as willing to to undergo it and look sometimes that's a a product of client needs and client wishes and so as a litigator you have to sometimes balance that but i hope that as we as the rule becomes you know more embedded in our um, litigation history that it becomes more commonplace and that we don't have to fight as many of these battles both not even for new mothers but also for for new fathers as well absolutely and if you if you want more details, I know that there's some practice areas where it doesn't apply. If you're looking for all those details, um, you guys helpfully have included those links. And Carla, as in every podcast, if you're listening to this on the legalfuel.com, you can look right below the player and you will see a link to all the things that we're talking about. The guide recommends, I like this, setting aside time to talk with the expectant parent and creating what you call a leave letter. What should be included in the leave letter? So some of the things that should be included in the leave letter um, include how long the attorney is going to be out for, when the attorney will be coming back, because of course the those things may be up in the air depending on a due date, and also the level of communication that the attorney expects to have um, while they're out on leave 
knowing that those things could all change. Something I've experienced is that you never know exactly what your journey into parenthood would look like. You don't know when it's going to happen as far as, you know, due dates or expected dates. Uh, You don't know uh, what kind of temperament your child may have and how available you may be. Um, You also don't know how much you yourself need as far as time and space to really navigate those early few weeks. And so some of the things in the letter, you know, have to include, you know, the metrics of dates that you're going to be out how you're going to communicate, how much you're able to communicate, when you expect to return, issues of um, whether it's paid or unpaid leave, whether there's any whether any facility to extend the leave in any way, again, we're unpaid or, or paid, um, whether benefits will continue. So those are some of the things that I can think of. But I also think that before you even get to the idea of leave, you could, it's probably helpful to communicate in that letter that you've had a conversation with the employee and that you're open to having more conversations, that you're open to being flexible, and that both the employer and the employee are aware that there's a client needs that needs to be served here, keeping in touch and keeping the lines of communication open to ensure that the business can continue to run is of paramount importance here. And so, you know, I I think when we speak of a leave letter, it certainly doesn't need to be a one-sided letter saying, you know, here's all the benefits you get or here's everything you can expect on leave. But it can be a two-sided of here's everything you can expect on leave, but here's also what we're going to be doing back at the office to ensure that client needs are met. Here's what we're going to be doing to ensure that work is taken care of, whether it's to passing over work to a colleague, whether it's, um, you know, putting certain things on hold if they can be put on hold. And so those are some of the things that we would that I would at least expect in a leave letter if that was something that I was going to undertake. And that was the point that I was going to add. When I had colleagues that went on leave, we had an office meeting of all the individuals who naturally would take on portions of the work. And we kind of went down the line, you're going to do this while, you know, this colleague is out and then you're going to do this. These are the issues that you need to think about. These are the players that you need to begin interacting with and building that relationship because you don't know how long the leave is going to be. And you also want to be very respectful of your colleague who is on parental leave. And so those are the things that we've done. And then even when the colleague comes back, adjusting, providing updates and saying, well, are you coming back part-time? Are you coming back full-time? Are there certain hours you won't be here? Just so we all know, okay, you're going to continue covering this area for this amount of time, even when your colleague comes back, or these are the areas maybe you're now going to keep because you figured out that's what works well at this point. And so as Anisha said, it really is about your client. And then just, of course, ensuring that your colleague comes back in the smoothest way possible, because there is a lot going on for everybody at that time. You, you both brought up really good points. So because you're attorneys, you're memorializing the conversation so that your senior partner didn't say, oh, it'll be fine. We'll work it out. And you're like, okay, cool. We'll work it out. What does that mean to them? What does that mean to you? But then Irish, you're making a really excellent point. Maybe uh, the partner you know, between the employee and the employer is saying, okay, so, you know, we won't hear from you. It's all good. But nobody asked the, the coworkers that were going to be taking on all those cases, like check in with all the affected parties. Because it's not as if I don't have work of my own. And <laughs> right. helpful. you're not supposed to be communicating with your colleague who's on leave. So you have to have those conversations, uh, especially when it involves litigation, just because there are deadlines, very sensitive deadlines. And then of course, candor with the court. 
And the other thing that I think a lot of people go out on their own as solos because they want more freedom. But if you don't have any coworkers, it's kind of hard to to negotiate pushing that caseload on anyone. You can't just tell your employee or your all your clients, I will be wrapping up my practice and then coming back. So you guys just hold tight for three months, you know, whatever things you got going on in your life. So yeah, a, a good reason to treat your coworkers well. And it's an upside to being at a firm that, that has all those places, you know, all those resources in place to help you. So good points. Either way, I think the the, the goal is to plan. You don't mm-hmm. want to wait until someone comes to you and says, I'm pregnant to try and figure out what needs to happen. You want to plan for this ahead of time because like Christine mentioned earlier, it may not be a pregnancy or an adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be, you know, another family member, a spouse, a parent who's ill that you need to take care of. It might be your own illness. So it, it, the point is to plan ahead of time and understand that you need to be flexible. So even if you do put something in this leave letter, you know, a new mom may think, I got this. I'm superwoman. And then turns out she's not slept for a couple weeks. You know, she's she just doesn't know what to do and, and she just can't do it. And she might have to amend that leave letter because mm-hmm. it's hard. So, again, it's it's in part memorializing and agreeing to what you're doing, but also understanding that things are flexible. So, Anisha, the Bar News article that I mentioned earlier quoted you as saying that your legal career wouldn't be possible without a parental leave policy. You mentioned that you now have two little ones. You commended them on their flexibility when it came to applying it. But can you tell us how it really went? Did, did you have a plan that, and then maybe it did get amended as you went? Were you trying to, and I think a lot of times, it's not just the firm wanting to reach you to check in on cases. It's you trying, like you can't let go because you're like Carla said, you're Supergirl, So you got to keep doing it all. So again, how did it actually work? Were you, did you keep looking at your email when you weren't <laughs> supposed to, were you attending conference calls? Tell us what really uh-oh, happened. Uh Oh, I feel like uh-oh. you know me so well. Um, <laughs> so, so I will say the, the first time I was pregnant is when I had my son, um, I had planned to take 12 weeks off. I ended up taking some additional, I think it was an extra couple of weeks unpaid time off so I could just really just um, adjust to my new environment and just become comfortable with getting back to work. I then came back to work, you know, full time for approximately two months. And then I realized very, um, very quickly that I was not feeling like myself. Um, I was um, certainly having some um, emotional issues. I I certainly felt some guilt. I was having no trouble keeping on top of my work, but I was just emotionally not feeling um, like myself. And I, I, the amount of guilt I felt of being away from a young child was so difficult for me to process and unlike anything I'd ever felt before. So I worked with my firm and was partially on a um, remote working environment. I was obviously in the office when I needed to be and need to go to court. But on days where I could work from home, I tried to do that as much as possible just until I felt comfortable with my own, frankly, my own troubles and emotionally stable that I could leave my son without feeling like I gave him up. And and my firm was wonderful in um, accommodating all of that. And then the second time around uh, with my newborn, we were still working from home. So that's worked out well. And for me, that has made a world of difference. It really, 
I, I certainly were both, both experiences with my, both my children. Um, working is really not the issue. Um, getting back to work is not the issue. The being apart is very, very tough for me. Um, I'm always very open and honest about that. You know, Iris knows that I, I take my children with me when I travel for bar trips. I take them with me. I have a ton of help at home between my husband and also my mom. Um, and so they take care of my children with me, but I like to keep them close by. So I feel like I'm not missing out. And to me, that's, that's why I'm able to stay in the profession because I don't feel like I have to give up one thing or another. I feel like I can still be a successful attorney while still being a great mom. And I love the fact that my kids are needy and want to be with me all the time. That means I'm doing my job right. And it'll, I also love the fact that um, I get good work um, at my firm and that I have great clients because that means I'm also being a good attorney. But I um, am definitely, with all that said, I'm definitely guilty of probably checking in a little bit too much. I was better at it the first time around. This time around, I think we got so used to being at home that for me, it just makes sense to speak, you know, with my colleagues a lot of them you know are my friends and so it makes sense to keep in touch my bar work you know obviously continues and we actually released and drafted this guide while I was on maternity leave and <laughs> I kept telling Iris I said oh, I feel so awful emailing people about parental leave while I'm on parental leave because you know that doesn't jive very well but it was just this was a very important project to me Iris and I, you know, spoke daily about it. I wanted to make sure that we gave it our all. I was able to do that because of the support I had at home. And, you know, it, it's it's about what works best for everyone. They're like, like we said, there's no size, that one size that fits everybody. Some people may need more space. Some people may need less space, more time, less time. I just found that I have a, an idea of what works for me and I, I stuck with it and, and it, you know, happily ever after. And also respect. Respecting the boundaries that your colleagues have set. So Anisha is not telling you, but she just returned to work this week. And <laughs> right. And what's so funny during this whole process, I had to respect the boundaries that Anisha set. Not mm-hmm. what I thought she should be doing. But when she said, Iris, I need to, you know, I need to take a step back. Fine, that's what we're doing. I've got it. I'm going to lead it. And then when she told me I'm ready to take on this much. Okay, that's how much you'll take on. And, and so I really respected the boundaries that she set. And I tried to help her as much as possible as a colleague, um, <laughs> a co-chair, as well as a friend to say, Anisha, these are the boundaries you set. We are going <laughs> to respect them. So, you know, you get it. You know, it's this feeling I want to show up. I feel like I have to put my hands on it. I care. While at the same time realizing I also have other priorities. And so it's just, you know, again, just also being very supportive and sometimes just saying, no, no, we are going to respect the boundaries you have told me you set. So, you know, I had to laugh when you asked that question. (laughs) So you guys became accountability partners for each other. I I like that. Yes. But but we've been talking about before we started recording, it's we love that you were working on this while you were on parental leave. It lends such an authenticity to the product. It's a beautiful product. I love it. And Iris, you being there, you know, at work and you should be in home. And Iris, were you going in this whole time or have you been working remotely as well? I've been primarily working remotely, but during the time uh, that we were working on the guide, I was going in once a week. Okay. And it's it's interesting because I was going to ask Anisha how she phased back into work, but clearly she's here, she's phased, and she had, she, she had to be told to pump the brakes. But it's interesting that you both are on the podcast, like Christine said, Anisha mm-hmm. being the one that is coming back from leave and Iris being the one telling her, slow down, 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and and showing that that empathy and that consideration. Because again, sometimes a new parent, be it mom or dad, just doesn't want to be put in a position to choose between work or family. And and they're so responsible and there's a sense of duty um, and, and they just can't do it all. Um, so, so it's nice to have the two of you on together to kind of juxtapose mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the two sides of, of every situation. And, and that's important. Again, we're going to drive this point home. You must be flexible and considerate. <laughs> And being sleep deprived and guilt ridden, you don't bring your best self to work. So, no. uh, yeah. So, and maybe you're, it gets, I have three grown children. I remember having some, you know, cloudy uh, moments where I was like, what I need the most and what the world needs for me is a nap right now. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, it, if you can, if you have that flexibility, but I, I love Iris that you were supporting her in that and reminding her because again, um, you want to, I think that there, you have something to prove as a new mom that you're not slacking, but again, you, you know, trying to make both things work. And I like that we're in a new era where the bar, our culture is saying, no, we want you to be a whole person. We want you to be healthy and well, but I want to go back. Cause I don't think this is everyone's experience. You guys both have great employers. Years ago, I had a law office management course undergrad, and I was attempting to write a paper on maternity maternity leave policies. We didn't call it parental leave back then. It was just maternity leave. And after contacting a lot of firms, I had a lot of contacts. No one had put their policy on paper. No one had a written policy for their female associates and partners. They all told me that they handled it on a case-by-case basis. And this was well after the Family Medical Leave Act had been signed. But this left female attorneys in a very precarious state, not knowing what to expect from their firms and now having and how having a child might affect their legal careers. So I love that your guide links to a parental leave policy that every firm can customize and implement. Excellent. From what you have learned and experienced, though, is there still a mommy track out there that exists? Is, is that something that is contributing to the lower number of female attorneys making partner? Or do you find that most firms are handling leaves of ab- absence for new parents, um, are, that they are now more inclusive and su- supportive? Do you know of other – because I'm, if we're looking at the hard numbers um, for the number of women coming out of law school, it, they're not showing up as the that same per- percentage for equity partners and – so what are you hearing from, especially, I love it that you guys are so involved in young lawyers, because that's the bulk of the research that for Florida we would talk about. Well, I, I think we have to be honest. And when we, you know, Iris and I, you know, very lucky we have great employers and mm-hmm. um, we've certainly heard great stories, especially while we were doing this guide. But when we look at the numbers of female attorneys in higher positions, there's a there's a mismatch there as to why those numbers aren't higher. So we have to ask why. I think it'll be naive of any of us to assume that that doesn't, you know, in part play because of parental leave. And I think as a as a profession, we need to we need to understand that you know different things work for different people. There is a reason as to why uh, female attorneys aren't retained or not being retained in the same way that male attorneys have been retained. But we also need to understand that parental leave is not just a female attorney issue. Mm-hmm. So it, it's hard to pinpoint parental leave as the only issue as to why female attorneys are not, you know, making partner in the same amount of numbers as male attorneys are, or why there aren't as many female attorneys in that position. Because of course we're lucky in this generation to see so many great female attorneys in those mm-hmm. high positions. But you know the numbers don't lie. So I, I think the profession has to continue to 
to look at itself, to, to see what we can do to really analyze what the reasons are for females leaving the profession and what the reasons are for female attorneys not progressing in, into leadership positions uh, within firms or different types of employers. And I think only then can we really understand what the reasons are because you know not every female who leaves the profession is a mother or wants to be. Right. At the same time, the same applies to males. But I definitely know plenty of women who, who felt that this wasn't something that they could do. They felt that they couldn't do both. And that's one of the reasons they left the profession. And it's a shame for everyone. It, it costs employers a lot on the bottom line as far as training and investment. Um, it obviously cross, um, costs a great young lawyer, you know, th- their employment and th- their livelihood um, and the time they spent going through law school, which, you know, certainly isn't easy especially if you do it twice. Um, and so, you know, we just, I think as a professional, we just have to continue to take a hard look at ourselves because there's no right answer for this. But, you know, the, the numbers are there. The numbers aren't, you know, what we would love to see. But I think with our generation in particular, with the young lawyers coming up now, this has been such a focus, you know, the last five and 10 years, especially with the, you know, we had the gender survey in 2000 and. 15, I believe. And that shone a light on this issue too. And so I would hope that, you know, in the next five to 10 years, we'll really see the tide changing on some of these issues. But, you know, clearly we're just, we're just not there yet. And I think you also have to look at what we place value on. So if you place the value on only people who go out to dinner with the firm every night, and there's individuals for a variety of reasons can or are interested in doing that, do we only promote those people who go out after work to partner? Well, then you're naturally going to exclude some people from moving Mm -hmm. up. And so I really think you have to, we have to take a holistic look at our profession and, and socially as well as in the office about where do we place the value and who is that excluding? And is that really what our intention is? And so I agree. The numbers don't lie. And and you hear the stories. Like Anisha said, you really, really do hear the stories. And so I have to believe that it is true. I think that one way that it'll get better is people who either, you know, they don't have children, but they have, uh, you know, either a medical crisis themselves or, or a parent that needs care. Or if you're a new dad, take all of your leave. Men, if you want to be helping this change, start taking that leave. So it is the norm. And I don't, I don't think that really... I think that, you know, they pay lip service to it like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I think that's great that you're going out, but then they don't do it. And it's whatever is normal in your firm. They're, they're setting an right. example, whether they realize it or not. Right. And I'll make a point about male attorneys taking leave. We have a, a place in our guide where um, Howard Pryor made a comment about this. And he said, you know, obviously parental leave is, is great to take um, as a male or female. But as a male, especially when we have um, two lawyer couples um, or even you know, <laughs> yeah. two working parents, um, as a male professional taking parental leave, you are helping um, your female professional partner, you know, succeed in in her career too, by uh, allowing, you know, your partner to get some rest to maybe get transitioned back to work. I know my husband and I, we alternate our parental leave so that we can both be at home um, with our children. We don't, you know, take them at the same time. And again, that, that, that is why I'm here today, because I have someone taking care of my child for me. And so it's so important for male professionals to start taking that leave. We know our past president, um, you know, Iris mentioned past president, Santa Deganji, um, wrote an article about this and spoke about how he took parental leave and he was, you know, proud to do it. And he obviously is a great father. I know in our guide, we have lots of male attorneys speaking to this issue too. 
And we, at the forefront of when we started drafting this guide, we thought that was so important because it helps not only male attorneys, it helps female attorneys, it helps children. It just really just shows the different dynamics between different types of family environments and, and how important parental leave is for everyone. And ultimately, it's it's sort of at the core of what YLD has been working on, which is the stigma-free YLD. And this is sort of a huge part of it. You know, it's not just mental health and substance abuse. It's something so simple and innocent and wholesome as taking parental leave, you know, prioritizing family, prioritizing children. And and still there's a stigma uh, when anyone takes it, but especially for men. So I think it's, it's a powerful message when a man chooses to take parental leave again. It's invaluable to the profession, such such a high-powered, high, you know, efficiency, efficiency profession that's, you know, all work, 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 to see people take a stand and say, I'm going to step back and take my family as a priority is, it's, it's huge. And, and like Christine said, hopefully 10 years from now, that mommy track won't exist anymore. Um, and, and anyone can take parental leave without even thinking about it. It'll just be the norm. I mean, that's that's the goal. And and it's great that over the past couple of years, Wildy has really been pushing for this and it's culminated uh, thus far in this guide and, and hopefully much more to come. Yeah. And I, I think what you just said, Carla, is really important. A lot of what Wildy is me and the parental leave guide is meant to do is to show that when, again, when when myself as a whole person is taken care of and seen and appreciated, a lot of the issues that we talk about with stigma-free YLD are resolved. And there's such an interplay, like you said, between really treating the, the whole person, whether that's parental leave or making sure that someone who classifies as a minority is seen and appreciated for everything that they bring and, and who they are, you we don't re-traumatize someone. And so I agree with you. There's a lot of interplay. And we were very intentional this year, along with President White, about really showing the fact that when we talk about inclusion and equality and YLD is me, we're really also talking about stigma-free YLD. And so it, it's been great this year to watch those two initiatives work together and hopefully improve not only our profession, but our communities. The guide is chock full of these really good, well-researched resources. So I, I really commend both of you. Iris, you're everywhere. And in your bio, I talk about that you're active in the Florida Association of Women Lawyers, as well as Wildy, as well as like, but I want to talk about specifically one of the links in the guide. It leads to a maternity and paternity leave and return toolkit for employers and employees. It's really comprehensive. And it because you're laying it out like that, there's some checklists. It makes it much less awkward for the employer and the expecting or returning parent to discuss very specific things that you probably, like, I don't know, like if your boss is male and you're like, well, I need a lactation room at work, that could you know, it might make him squirmy. So you guys have just laid it out like it's one more thing on the checklist. But the Florida Association for Women Lawyers has gone even farther and they're taking an active role in this arena. They've been working hard to ensure that Florida courthouses and other public spaces have dedicated lactation rooms. Um, Fall even created a courthouse lactation room handbook. And But when you look at the Florida courthouse, you guys have a link to this, the lactation room inventory. It includes all 20 circuits in Florida and of the 147 courthouses 
only 29 were listed as providing a dedicated private space for nursing mothers. So what else is fall doing to encourage the other 118 courthouses to get with the program, Iris? So yes, big shout out to fall. They really, really pushed this initiative and I've been grateful. And so one thing that they did was they took the inventory last year to, because we all travel and you shouldn't have to, it, it's it's already a lot to go to a new courthouse, figure out the court courthouse rules, the particular rules for that courtroom. Um, and now I also have to find a lactation room. And so I really love the initiative. They went through every single circuit for every courthouse to figure out simple stuff like, do you have to call somebody? Do you need a key? Can you just show up? So all the little things you're, you're not thinking about right away. You're just thinking about, I need the lactation room. They really created the inventory to make it easier for individuals. The other thing that they've done is they're working with a member of the Florida legislature to pass a bill related to the requirement of a lactation room in all of the courthouses. So that I believe is also moving through the legislature. The other thing that fall does is they provide grants. So they're providing money to assist each of the courthouses with creating a new lactation room. And with the guide, it's it's step-by-step step of this is what you need to do first. And of course, it's speaking with the chief judge. This is how you can find sponsors. Fall provides grants. Here are other lactation rooms and what they provide. So you have an idea of what this should look like in your courthouse. So it, Fall is continuing that discussion. They, one by one, are going through the courthouses. And it's been something that I've been very, very proud of in being a member of Fall. So we'll keep an eye out on Senate Bill 196 again. And, and hopefully the goal is uh, that, you know, over the next couple of years, every courthouse has a lactation room. And when we open that list, uh, we can see all the yeses and no nos or no coming <laughs> soons. Um, and, and, and again, like you said, the, the list is, is wonderful because it even tells you where it's located within the courthouse. Um, so you, you don't have to, you know, the anxiety of showing up somewhere not knowing where to go is huge. And now on top of that, you have the anxiety of showing up somewhere and not knowing where to go or who to ask about a lactation room. I mean, it's, it's just an anxiety that shouldn't be there. It should just it should just be the norm. So it's it's wonderful that that's progressing and, and that there's going to be a, hopefully formal legislation requiring every county to provide that space for women. Yeah, and we've been starting to see spaces in when we have bar organization meetings, CLEs. Um, I know I'd benefit from that. I remember one um, particular event years, in, you know, at least two years ago, I was advised I could use a, a restroom to pump. And not only did I not return there, um, but I made a point to ensure that when we have our Wild D events, we try to ensure that there's a reserve space that we can ensure that everybody has a safe space to pump if they need to. Because, you know, it's not just something nice to do, but it is physically uncomfortable when you do not well, have that and, space yeah, to do it. I, I always, you want to ask that person, do you want to go eat your lunch in the bathroom? So, yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's inhumane. I can't believe that's even an option. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, you guys even have the, what is it called? Mama Va. It, those look like yes. photo booths yeah. at the airport. They're like uh -huh. self-contained. I was going to mention that. We have that on campus and they're just randomly throughout campus, those little pods. And I want to say we went to a bar event and they were there. And it just makes so much sense. And they're so easy to do. I love that. Right. It, it's it's so much easy. I've always said this. 
it's not always easy to do the right thing, but there's sometimes, sometimes doing the right thing is just easier than doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, how awkward is it to look a woman in the face and tell her you have to go to the bathroom to uh, express milk? That That's, ugh. It's easier to say, of course, we have this beautiful space for yeah, you. Yeah, and Come you guys are and... taking away, they can't say we didn't know because you, you've you laid it out for them. So thank you. Exactly. So uh, let us, uh, because you two are involved in everything, but are still maintaining your beautiful work-life balance, I assume, are there any other YLD or fall projects currently underway related to anything in this arena that you can tell us about what else is cooking? Well, uh, Anisha and I really are pushing YLD's newest initiative, which is YLD is me. And it, it's a part of this was the parental leave guide But it also is a compilation of videos and social media posts, as well as webinars, where we've really taken the time to appreciate the diversity in our profession of every type, race, gender, sexual orientation, whether you're a parent or not, disability. And we've really highlighted people to show that lawyers are not a one size fit all. And I know I've said this over and over, but I never met an attorney before law school. And when I did start meeting attorneys, many did not look anything like me or where I came from. And I know Anisha and I have worked really hard so that no one who is ever interested in becoming an attorney, whether you are in middle school or whether you're thinking about the law as a second career, that you never feel like there's no place for me in the law. So we have done about four videos. We are about to come out in probably the next two weeks with the next video of YLD is me. And I will, you know, say here and hopefully Anisha doesn't fuss at me, but this video actually is going to feature former justice Barbara Priente. So please look out for it. Yes. Very exciting. Um, The trailer should be out soon and then we'll release the full video next. But look out for that. And then we'll have one more video before our term is up as Inclusion and Equality Committee co-chairs. So look out for that. Look out for the post. And if you have any programming ideas, use the hashtag YLDisMe. We want to share them. We have really, really enjoyed seeing how much our community, the legal community, has taken on YLD is me, and you're seeing more posts highlighting diverse attorneys. We're having very candid conversations now about what can we do better to make sure that everybody feels included in this profession, that it's reflective of our diverse state and our clients. So please, you know, hashtag YLD is me and look out for the next video. I love that. And the videos that I've seen already are so well done. So we'll put, Carla is very good about putting links to that. So anything you've heard today will um, appear on right below the player on our website. It looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thank you, Iris Elijah and Anisha Patel for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much. This was great. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel podcast brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilbrey. And I'm Carla Eckhart. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bar's podcast via iTunes, Google Podcast, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center Legal Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. 
As always, consult a lawyer. 